I am blessed to be a part of this congregation, and uh, I'm really excited that God is genuinely working. During the service today, I hope that you do engage on Slack, because there's so much that I want to hear from you about what, what God is saying to you through the message, what God is saying to you through the scripture, and how that applies in your life. And so, um, yeah, let's, uh, let me introduce, I'm going to introduce the by reflecting on when I went to Bible college. So I went to Bible college well before I went to seminary, and Bible college was a terrible experience for me. It didn't really work well. Um, but I went to this one class called New Testament Survey. And in New Testament Survey, it's supposed to be this broad per perspective, this, this big story of what the New Testament is. And I went to this class, there was about 130 people in the lecture, and the professor gets in front of the room on the first day after the, well, actually on the second day, first day of lecture, um, second day, because first day is all syllabus stuff, it was boring as anything. But the first day, he gets up in front of the whole class and asks the question that I'm going to ask you today. He said, in five words or less, tell me, why did Jesus come to earth? Now, we're all, you know, Bible college students, and, and uh, we've got this whole, you know, exciting, yeah, we're, we're going to do this, and we're idealists, and we're figuring it out. And so we, of course, know the answer. These Bible college students, they're bright, first-year Bible college. They know the answer. They're Bible college for a reason. Why did Jesus come to earth? You know, what, what shocked me is in a room of 130, the answers were all kinds of varied. So it's five words or less, five words or less. Why did Jesus come to earth? And, uh, and so I'd love to hear your answers because the answers were broad. They were varied. They were very different about why did Jesus come to earth? What was the purpose? And I was shocked. First off is the professor, he... We wrote it on a piece of paper because we didn't have Slack back then. Um, it didn't exist. And, uh, and so we're writing it on a piece of paper. We hand it all in, and he just sorted. Yep, yep, yep. Put them in about 10 different categories. And then he started talking about them, and he's like, yep. And it's like he knew what the answers would be. You know, it's like he knew what the answers would be. Um, so, yeah, try to keep it in five words or less. So... Catching my throat. So it gets a little bit presumptuous for us to assume God's motivation for anything because sometimes there are clues in history of God's interaction with us that give us a nod in the direction of where God's constant plan and what it, what it is. What is God's purpose with humanity? We, we see this in, in Scripture. Why did Jesus come to earth? We, we kind of get a, an idea of it. You know, it's, it's never explicit. The Bible doesn't, doesn't teach us in ways it's like, Here's, our, here's, the, here's the theological statement. Jesus came to earth to five words. There's no Bible verse that says that. So what we have to do is we have to start to know the Bible, read the Bible, and start to create answers. So why did Jesus come to earth? We've got we've to dig into that. You know, it, it was really interesting. We talk a lot about Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. We sing a song about it to the kids 
Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Well, I was in my late teens when I figured out the Bible actually never says those three words in order, Jesus loves you. It doesn't actually happen. There's, there's no spot in the Bible that says it. So what? Well, we know that Jesus loves us because he gave his life for us, because he incarnated, all these stuff. But it's not in the Bible. It doesn't say Jesus loves you, nor does it say Jesus' purpose. So we have all kinds of answers that are coming out right now. What's, what's his purpose with humanity? And so today I want, us to, to, I want to bring our attention to something that we might not have in North America paid enough attention to. A lot of times our gospel is about us. A lot of times our North American gospel is centered on us. Yet, the gospel includes us, but it's not all about us. So that's something that we, we will struggle with as a church because it's what we've been taught all the way through. And so this is, this is great. So I'm going to read some of our answers. Why, five words or less, why did Jesus uh, come to earth? And I'm just going to start off with the distracted, you know, thought that says engaging on Slack is not about asking somebody to marry you. Because as, you know, a certain pastor's wife said, it's a sure way to get a no. Don't do that. Okay, so why did Jesus come to earth to seek and save the lost? Okay, we got five words. Good job. Restore broken man God relationship. Something like that. <laughs> to reconcile mankind to God. Because he wanted to. Nice. Um, to save people from their sin. And then to bring people to heaven. Um, because he wanted to come. To show us how to love. To teach and save and Jesus does say, I have loved you, as a correction. It's not a correction. It doesn't say Jesus loves you. It says, I have loved you. So that's good. So bring us back into relationship. So the cool thing is, is somebody, you know, um, in, in, these are the answers that were given to, in, in class. These are very much the exact answers that were given, and every single one of them is right. They're all right. This is why God, Jesus came to earth. But none of them are actually the answer that Jesus gave, kind of hidden in the way that, you know, uh, somebody just pointed out that Jesus, I have loved you, shows up. What we do have is we do have Jesus saying why he came. Matthew 4, 17 this is, this is right after Jesus has been tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. Matthew 4 is a wonderful chapter. We're going to look at it a little bit today. Right after Jesus <clears throat> has been tempted, he comes out victorious. He didn't, he didn't fall to the temptations. He comes out victorious, and he says, and, and, and the Bible says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the reason that includes all of the reasons that you gave today. 
The reason that God came to earth as a human was to establish God's kingdom. To establish God's kingdom. God's kingdom, of course, reconciles humanity. God's kingdom, of course, shows us God's love. God's kingdom, of course, forgives us of our sins. God's kingdom, of course, does all of these things. But his whole point of coming is to establish God's kingdom. There's no other reason he came. In, in North America, we, we have emphasized the small Jesus came to forgive you of your sins. But it begs a big question, why? Jesus came so that you could have a relationship. Why? What are we getting into here? No, it's about establishing God's kingdom. Okay, so what is God's kingdom? What is, what is a kingdom? And why does that matter? <clears throat> so I was writing this sermon in my home office. And Valerie wasn't using the office. So I'm sitting at the desk under the window, looking out over this massive landscape that I could see because my house is on a hill. And so I can see from my office in Bradford, I can see Green Lane and, four, and 404, I can see Queensville, I can see Leslie Valley, I can see Newmarket, I can see down towards Aurora and King, I can see all the Holland Marsh. I can see, I've measured it out on a map, somewhere around 170 square kilometers from my office window. And I mean, this is wonderful because I, I realized that this, this hill we live on allows me this grand view of the peasantry. All the farmland down there. I can see the armies coming in to attack well before they get to my castle. Poor suckers. And so I'm, I'm like, oh, oh, I'm so high on a hill. And I, there's something about that, the idea of the kingdom right? Where, where in, in feudal history, in medieval history, you would build a castle, a fort on a hill, and you would be able to see for kilometers all around. And your kingdom is, was, was established as far as the eye could see. And so this is, this is my, you know, I tell my kids that, you know, uh, this is our kingdom, and look at all we do, and all this stuff. It's all fairy tale. So my idea of kingdom doesn't work as well as Dallas Willard's. Dallas Willard defines a kingdom as a place that you exert your influence over. A place you exert your influence over. God came to establish his kingdom on earth. A place in which God exerts his, king, his influence over. So think about this in terms of your own family structures at home. You have a kingdom. Your kingdom is the place in which you exert your influence over. I don't have a very big kingdom. So, so we've got this, this piece where it's like, okay, this is, this is the kingdom. So let's take a look at the temptation of Jesus 
in this. And uh, you're right, actually. Um, I, some people have a queendom. And Dallas Willard specifically states that. Um, and Valerie's queendom is much larger than my kingdom. <laughs> Just saying. So, um, somebody also, might be my wife, accused me of cheating on my five words that I had weeks to think about it. I legitimately got given the answer by my New Testament professor years ago. So I didn't, I got it right, more cheating. So you're right. So, but it's good. It's good. <clears throat> what we have here is after, what we have here, Matthew 4, 2, and 3, this is, this is the kingdoms. Who's exerting influence? Being challenged. Take a look at this in this context. Matthew 4, 2-3. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Exert your influence over it. This is about entitlement. It's for you. It's yours anyways. You deserve it. Exert your influence over it. You've been so good for 40 days. You haven't eaten. You haven't, you haven't had the proper nourishment. And you're the Lord? You're the one in charge of this kingdom? No, no, no. Exert your influence over it. Feed yourself. Oh. Jesus obviously rejects him. Matthew 4, 6. If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. Hey, Jesus. If you are the ruler of this kingdom, exert your power over it. Command the angels to save you. Exert your power. Prove it. Show that you truly are Lord, that you have what it takes to be in control, to take control of the situation. Oh, is this what's going on? Satan is tempting Jesus to, by means of whatever is possible, to exert his influence over the goal that he has to establish the kingdom of God. His goal that he came to earth for is to establish the kingdom of God, and so Satan is tempting him to just do it. Just do it then. If that's what you came here for, just do it. And Jesus is like, I'm not going to accept your shortcuts. Again, Matthew 7 or sorry, Matthew 4, 7 to 9. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms. Now we're getting my picture right, except for it was a very high mountain. Shows him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor and says something kind of shocking. I will give this to you. Who's exerting influence? Satan's been exerting influence all throughout the world. And he says, I will give you all of my influence. I'm going to give you the easiest way forward, the path that guarantees you're going to get your desired result. I'm going to give you the whole thing. All you have to do is worship me. Oh. How many times does Satan offer us a shortcut to that which God has promised? If God's promised you something and you're holding on to it, 
How many times have you been offered a shortcut that'll just get it there, but the cost takes you totally off track? The cost takes you right off track from where you're supposed to go. Just worship, just worship Satan. It's okay, you'll get what you want. You're here to establish God's kingdom, so just do it that way anyways. I can give it to you, you're done. Bam. You don't need to worry about a thing now, Jesus. So Jesus came to establish his influence over creation. So someone just asked me, is there a mission between, is there a difference between mission and purpose? Luke 10, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Luke 19, 9, 10, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham for this man came to seek and save the lost. So you're right and, and what I'm doing is I'm not denying that truth that Jesus did indeed come to seek and save the lost. But what are they lost from? They're lost from access to the kingdom of God. So to seek and save the lost, he has to establish the kingdom. He's got to be able to say, this is the category that's made right. And now everything else has access. We are now included. We are invited into this kingdom. Now we seek and save the lost. Now we've got, you know, the 99 and we go seek the one, right? But Jesus has come to establish all of this. He came to exert his influence over creation. And someone else just wrote a really, really profound thought that the lost will make up the kingdom. That's huge. This is why we use Slack. The lost will populate the kingdom. Kingdom's empty without the lost coming in, without us coming and being brought into relationship with Jesus. So when God created man, he gave him dominion and influence over all creation. The kingdom was created for humanity to live in and rule. That's what we see right in the Bible. Genesis 1, 1 28, and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over it, that's kingdom language, over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That's the job of humanity, to exert influence in God's way over the entire earth. That's our job, it's our vocation, forever. That is the human vocation. To, to work in tandem with God. And so after Adam and later on Noah, they didn't, they didn't take dominion over the land. In fact, Adam handed dominion over to the powers of evil that influenced him. And God has since then been establishing his kingdom in parts. God establishes his kingdom peace by peace, regaining that which was lost and being like, I'm going to exert my influence here. You know, we see it. We see it because, because God called people who were not a people. And he said, okay, so, so first he goes Abraham and then he goes, you know, with Moses, I'm going to call these people who are not a people. They're going to come out of Egypt and they're going to become a people and they're going to take the land and, and these people are going to exert influence and they are going to be the people that will follow after me. They are the people who I'm committing to. I'm establishing my kingdom around, my influence on the earth and all the nations will be drawn to Israel to, to learn how things are done right. The Queen of Sheba comes up from the south and comes to Solomon and says, how do I do it right? 
God exerting and expanding his influence in a lost world. This is amazing because God is at the center of this influence. The kingdom of God is established by God's presence with God's permission. So what went wrong? This holy nation, the people of God, had handpicked these most unlikely folk to win control of the trading route of the, of the continents, the land of Israel. These people who were gifted the, the impossible, they started thinking like they wanted to be like everyone else. These people who God was exerting influence started to want to be like everybody else. Well, they set up their government structure like this. Well, we, they, the worlds around us do it like this. We want to make sure that we're doing it like this. We've got to make sure that they stopped allowing God the influence and started allowing the influence of others. Why do we, this is a slack question for you, why do we always try to establish our own influence while diminishing God's? I'm just really interested in your response. Why do we try to establish our influence? Like, how is this even logical? But we do it all the time, don't we? So I'm, I want to dig into like what you guys think. Why do we, why do we try to establish our own influence while diminishing God's? They rejected God's influence, God's kingdom, and worked to establish their own influence, their own kingdom. They used methods of the nations around them, sacrificing to the gods that are not gods, making treaties with other lands to protect them in times of war. Like, literally, Israel had a point where they double-crossed Assyria and Egypt. So they said to Assyria in the north, if Egypt attacks us from the south, you're going to come and defend us. So they made a treaty with Assyria. But at the same time, in that same season, they had also said to Egypt in the south, if Assyria comes and attacks us, you're going to come and defend us. They're, they're not being faithful to even the, even the influences that they're trying to exert. And God is sitting there going the whole time, I'm faithful. I'm the one who's going to protect you. And they abandon the influence. So why do we do that? I mean, God rejected. God rejected them. In the Old Testament prophets, we see a very angry God. We don't do a good job explaining why God's angry. But we do see an angry God. God is angry for a very good reason. Because people have given away who influences them. People, his people, have literally betrayed him. They just betrayed him. And so God's like angry. And so that's what's going on when we try to establish our influence or exert influence, our influence over God's. We betray God. That's what Satan is attempting to do with Jesus. He's trying to convince Jesus to betray God. Okay, so why do we always try to establish our own control? Influence is control. Control is power. And power is tempting and it's addictive. Someone else says, because I usually think I'm right or I know best. I want immediate results, even if I know they're less than God's long-term better results. Or maybe it's because we lack an understanding of who we are under God, made righteous through Jesus, and try to contrive our own self-righteousness by proving ourselves right. 
So God's still establishing his kingdom. The story is not over because God didn't give up. Thank God. Jeremiah 24, 7. I will give them a heart to know that I am Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God. And they will return to me with their whole heart. Whole heart. This is a gracious promise of the new kingdom of God. A kingdom where the people return to God. A kingdom unlike anything before because all the people in the kingdom will be there by choice. By choice, people. We make a choice to be influenced by God. And it's consistent. Jeremiah 32, 38. And they will be my people and I will be their God. But that was so far off. People... People were taken into slavery. Jeremiah, who, profi- who prophesied those words, died in Egypt, even though he didn't want to go there. And the people were spread all over the earth. The diaspora of the Jews happened. So today, how's the story of God's influence? Good news for regular people in Bradford, like you and me. We're in Bradford right now. How is the story of God's influence, good news for regular people in Bradford. When we say, why did Jesus come? We come up with answers that fit our North American Christian story, which is a very short story, and it sounds like this. Well, God created humans to live with him and worship him, and humanity fell. So, skip a whole bunch. Jesus came to save humanity from their sins, and if we believe in Jesus, we'll go to heaven one day, far away, where we worship God forever. No one mention of a kingdom. No mention of a dramatic story. No reasons for Jesus other than arbitrary constructs about my sin and, well, God must have been really angry in the Old Testament at other people's sin, and so that's what it was all about. No, it's always been about, do we allow God to influence us? Do we live in God's kingdom? Is he the influence that drives our decisions? That's the question. That's the question. So, what makes it good news for God to, for for the kingdom to be here? Jesus died on a cross, rose again. The disciples, they understood their part in the story. They took Jesus aside, Acts 1-6. They said, they got excited. They saw the resurrected Lord and Savior. They were like, oh my goodness, this is it. And so then they said this, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? That's what they're excited about. It's about the kingdom. That's what it's about. It's about God's exerting influence over all the earth. That's what we're doing. In what way is this good news? Why is is God's kingdom good news? The very reason we preach, the gospel's right there, the kingdom of God they would learn it's not just for Israel, but for the whole earth and those who willing accept it. Someone says we're invited into helping God's kingdom be fully realized or come. Yes. We enjoy abundant life now as he establishes his kingdom through us. Yes, we do get to have a better peace. What's in it for Bradford? First, my testimony is that life works way better knowing that God is in charge. Second, he gives me a heart of compassion for my community. Absolutely. This is good news. 
Because we see how the kingdom of humanity, as evidence in the brokenness of Bradford and our province and our country and our world, are broken, causing hurt. And God's kingdom is one of peace, healing, unity, wholeness. Man, it's not just Christians that crave that. It's non-Christians that crave that. A community of healing, of wholeness, of peace. This is what God is offering. So Jesus, by resisting the temptations that we went through, Jesus goes through the actual life, lives and dies, recognized as the Savior of the world, risen again, and he comes back to his disciples and says this, all authority, which means total influence, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I am the one who exerts influence here now. That's what he's saying. And so we are the messengers that God's kingdom exists here, right now. It's not just to have our sins forgiven every week, but God's called us to be influenced by the person of Jesus Christ. So we need to understand our place. I'm going to close with this. 1 Peter 2, 9. You, sitting in this room right now, are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. A people for God's own possession that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's who you are. A people of the kingdom of God. That's who you are. We live in a very serious time, church. And if Promise Church is going to step into the world that God has called us to be, we must understand our story, who we are, so we can understand our authority, understanding that we can't simply let the world go by any longer because we are just letting people die without the hope of knowing the kingdom and the influence of God. How can we make a difference that's different than the, world, than the world's difference? I mean, the lions make a difference. Schools make a difference. Community center and food banks make a difference. Yeah, those all echo what Jesus' kingdom looks like. But we find the area in our culture right now, and this is going to, because the person asked a really good question on Slack. We find the area in our culture right now that is most hurting. We are in the most disjointed age of information that humanity has ever gone in. We are separated as individuals, islands stuck inside of our own castles. And the kingdom of God is about bringing people in loving relationship back together. Sure, at one point it was about teaching people how to read, but our literacy rate in Canada is like 95% now. It's not about that anymore. The kingdom of God right now is about teaching people how to live with instead of live against people. That's how God wants to exert his influence in suburbia right now. Teaching people how to live with because we are so quickly torn against each other. Let me pray. God, I thank you so much that you came to establish your kingdom. And as a church, 
we offer up ourselves willingly to say, please have influence over us. Influence our habits, influence what we pay attention to, influence what we do, influence our, our religious practices, influence our prayer life, influence our finances. God, take every part of us and freely influence us because you are our Lord and Savior. And so, Jesus, we put our trust in you and we pray that you would teach us how to follow your ways. In your name, amen. Thank you, Promise Church. God bless you. We are here next Sunday, Christmas morning, 1115. All right, we'll see you.